In our last episode, episode four, I got to talk with Nikki Kenward, an instructor of craniosacral therapy, international speaker, author, journal creator, and all-around amazing therapist who hails from London. In our conversation, we ended up talking about craniosacral therapy and how she used it to heal her gut from PTSD that she experienced from a scuba diving accident. If you have not listened to that episode yet, I would encourage you go back and check out that episode. But today I wanted to talk about craniosacral therapy because I mentioned it in episode one that craniosacral therapy and something called visceral manipulation were two key treatments that I experienced that were huge in turning around my gut health in 2016, the end of 2016. So without further ado, craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name's Allison Jordan, marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. The first thing you might be wondering is, what are those? They are both modalities where we use our hands to manipulate tissue in the body to create optimal function of that tissue. With craniosacral therapy, we're working with tissue around our nervous system, particularly the brain and the spinal cord. And with visceral manipulation, we're working with tissue around organs. That's ligaments, fascia, because our organs are not just hanging out and just happen to be staying in the right spot. They all have like seatbelts that hold them in place. Our liver, our stomach, our large intestine, our pancreas, they all have these connecting seatbelts that when we move, they give a little give, they come in and they make sure our organs stay in the right place. Well, when we get in any type of stress or trauma, that could be a car accident, falling on our tailbone, uh, giving birth, having a sports accident or sports collision, falling off a horse, you name it. And then not to let alone doing something like surgery or having anesthesia or having antibiotics put into our body or having an illness like meningitis or even intense cases of the flu or the stomach flu, all these things can create trauma in our body tissues that makes our tissues less flexible and then ultimately decreases the functionality of those tissues. We have a lot of different kinds of tissues in our body And we have nerves, we have veins and arteries, we have fascia, we have the organs that are surrounded by all of these things and that feed off of them. And then we have muscles and bones and all of these things, none of them are an island. All of them are interconnected. And so when we experience trauma or even just symptoms in one area, say you're having acid reflux or you're having constipation or you gave birth, um, and you're having pelvic floor problems, incontinence, all these things, they are 
all connected and can impact each other. So real quick recap, when I first experienced craniosacral therapy, I did not know I was experiencing craniosacral therapy. I was sent to a pelvic floor therapist in my area. At this point, I didn't really care what was done to me. So she just did her own thing. And she did some things that are more traditional pelvic floor therapy. I go into this a little bit in the first episode, which you can check out. Not all pelvic floor therapists know how to do. She just happened to have chosen to train more in it. When she did craniosacral therapy, it is a light touch modality. It helps us to reduce restrictions around our craniosacral system. Our craniosacral system includes the brain, the spinal cord, cerebral spinal fluid, our meninges, cranial bones that are in the skull. There's actually 22 cranial bones in our head and our sacrum, which is in the pelvis. Our entire nervous system is protected by this, nourished by the cerebral spinal fluid. The cerebral spinal fluid takes out toxins in the brain and keeps the functionality going. In our craniosacral system, we want to have a nice rhythm. I want you to think about our heart. Our heart has an even pace, or at least we want it to, and it pushes fluid throughout our entire body, which is the blood, and to bring nutrients to ourselves and to take away any toxins. So nutrients includes oxygen and includes glucose and vitamins for our entire body, vitamins and minerals, and then it takes out the toxic metabolic waste from our cells so that we don't get blocked up and we can keep functioning. Well, Our cerebral spinal fluid in our craniosacral system is meant to do the same thing. And if it gets inhibited, either the flow of cerebral spinal fluid or the detoxification ability of the brain, which is called uh, through something called our glymphatic system, then the brain is not going to detox as well. We're going to end up with memory problems, foggy headedness, uh, mood changes, maybe mood instability, whether it's outbursts of anger or sadness, and that seems like basically sadness, like depression or anxiety, difficulty remembering things, difficulty either speaking or giving directions. All these things can come from a brain that is having a toxic experience inside of its protective encasing. So I want you to think about all the things that the brain and spinal cord control or have effect on. Basically, anything that inhibits the functionality of that, you know, the brain helps us sleep. It affects our sensation of pain. We even have sensory integration go on in the brain. So that can be light, colors, sounds, textures, tastes, smells. Our brain helps our gut know when to function. It's the control center of our flight and fight response. So it helps us decide when we should be in a sympathetic or parasympathetic state. And it also is highly involved in learning and learning disabilities. It can also be implicated in uh, headaches and migraines. That is our craniosacral system. When it's not functioning properly, you can have increased pressure in our cranial vault, so in our head, and that can create pain. That can create vision problems. That can create hearing difficulty or necessarily like pain when we hear things. And so those are all things that we want to think about when we're thinking of the craniosacral system. It affects so much. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are aware we have something called the brain-gut axis. It's this connection between the brain and the gut where the gut is trying to give information to the brain and say, hey, buddy, here's how we're doing today. 
And then the brain is also telling the gut, hey, we need this, or please do that, or I just saw a bear, please stop functioning. The eyes take in the vision of a bear, or maybe it's the vision of a car that's about to hit you, and it tells your gut, please stop digesting, because digesting is not safe right now. We don't want acid sloshing around, and we want to conserve energy in our gut, and we actually usually send that energy to our muscles and our limbs and to our brain so we can think faster. So if we have experienced long experiences of stress in our life, whether that's physical stress, like we described at the beginning, where you accidents and, and trauma, surgery, or psychological stress, financial stress, career-related stress, school and education-related stress, relational-related stress, all these kinds of stress could be an exam season, putting on a wedding, all these different things that we experience that are either short-term, very, very quick one-time things, or something that is longer, could last a few months or even years, that psychological stress can also affect our brain and our gut health. And then lastly, we also have biochemical stress. So taking antibiotics, having infections, having a toxic environment internally, having hormones that are out of balance, all those things are going to affect the functionality of our body and ultimately signals to our brain of whether we can be relaxing or not. So craniosacral therapy, what it feels like, it is a light touch modality. We use around five grams of pressure to help release restrictions around the brain in the cranial bones, all 22 of them, and in the meninges, which are around the brain. I don't know if you've ever studied brain or if you can think back to high school studying the brain, but we have a protective layer of kind of like skin around the brain. And there's three layers within that skin and they all are, you know, helping the cerebral spinal fluid to flow. And those can get restricted. If you get a concussion, those meninges can get injured. They can have scar tissue layers in them that are definitely less flexible. And you can also have the cranial bones. I want you to think about like if you get smashed in the ear for some reason with like a ball or in a car accident, that temporal bone can also get restricted and pushed into the other sutures. That's the joints we call, that's the name of the joints around every cranial bone where they touch the other cranial bones. We call them sutures. Those can get jammed. And then that bone does not move when we want to create cerebral spinal fluid. Um, I want you to imagine that your head is kind of like your rib cage. And when you create cerebral spinal fluid, it's like breathing in, your rib cage opens up. Then you take a pause, your brain pauses creating cerebral spinal fluid, and then it absorbs some of it. And that's our exhale. And then the cranial bones come in a little bit. So we got this little balloon motion where cerebral spinal fluid is made and it opens up the cranial bones, and then it's absorbed, and the cranial bones come in. So we got that little breathing motion in the brain, and that is part of the circulation. Again, think back to the heart. We want circulation to be able to move nutrients, to be able to move toxic waste, to have really healthy brain. And if that is not happening, we're going to have an increased toxicity levels in the brain, between the blood-brain barrier, and that is not good. So my therapist used five grams of pressure, which is about the weight of a nickel. It's very, very light. And that helps our tissues on a fascial level, if you've heard of fascia, to slowly open up. You want to think of like a rubber band. You want that rubber band, if you just stretch it too fast, I mean, it's going to break. Um, and in this case, I mean, our tissues are not as soft as a rubber band. In fact, they've become hard if they have restrictions. So they're more like scar tissue. They don't bend as well. We want to increase that flexibility. So we create that pressure. It helps 
warm up the tissues. The um, ground substance and the fascia goes from what we call a gel state to a soul state. So it becomes more viscous and thick and then turns into something more watery and loose. And that invites water into H2O into the tissue. It can be increased flexibility. And then you're going to have both those tissues that are fascia and the, and the sutures, the joint between the two bones, and then also the meninges. All of that will become more flexible. We call that osseous restrictions and membranous restrictions. So osseous is bone, membranous is the the membrane, which is the meninges around the brain. Another thing that's unique about craniosacral therapy is we are not telling the body where it's supposed to go. I can evaluate and say, oh, this is where it's tight. Maybe it's the frontal bone or it's the occipital bone. And I can imagine how I want to improve it. But if I go to go and release a restriction and it's not opening, it's probably telling me that there's either other restrictions in that area that are more important or that the body cannot release that yet. And so unlike a surgery or even kind of going to the chiropractor, we're not forcing change. It's a, it's not saying the body, whether you're ready or not, here I come. It's really listening and saying, where is the body ready to release and how can I partner with that? Ultimately, that makes the craniosacral therapy a very relaxing modality to receive, which calms down the nervous system, decreases sympathetic tone. Sympathetic tone is responsible for our fight and flight response. And so we overall end up coming away. When we're in fight and flight response, by the way, uh, we're not digesting. And we also have increased muscle tone because our muscles are kind of tense to try and go and run away from a bear or get out of your car accident. But when you have chronic levels of high sympathetic tone, your body can feel tense all the time. One of the things that I find when I have clients come in is that if they are feeling tense in their entire body, uh, my base training is in massage therapy. And I sometimes have people come in and they just say, could you just like, you know, poke this muscle? And I will evaluate their craniosacral system. And I We'll tell them, hey, are you willing to do try craniosacral therapy first and see if that muscle feels like it relaxes? And nine out of 10 times, that person will walk away and say, you never touched that muscle, but not only does that muscle feel more relaxed or that shoulder or that low back, but my whole body feels more relaxed. And that's because the area, our muscle tone is controlled in our brain. It's controlled in an area called the reticular formation, which is from about the area of the midbrain down to the brain stem through the pons area. And it is predetermines, you know, how much muscle tone we should be having in different areas of our body. My muscle tone used to be so tight. I mean, even as a child, I was a gymnast, but just I always had this sense of tension and pain. And I mean, my first massage ever was, I think, when I was 16 And it felt amazing because I had never known what it was like to not be tight. And after craniosacral therapy, I didn't need massages as often. I didn't need to foam roll as often. My body was holding a more natural level of relaxation in my tissue, in my muscle. And that is just a sign of how it's helping my sympathetic tone, my fight and flight response to go down. Well, we also know fight and flight is the opposite of rest and digest. So we're not digesting. So my pelvic floor therapist does craniosacral therapy on me. I feel myself way more relaxed than I ever have. I don't know why this woman's, you know, only using very light pressure on various places in my body. And I just can't imagine how or why it's helping me, but I leave and I 
sleep really well. My sleep was really horrible. If you go back and listen to episode one, you'll learn that. But I would go home and sleep and then I would wake up and I would use the bathroom. And at this point, and I mean number two, pooping. At this point, I was not pooping on my own. I was having to use, um, I really didn't want to use laxatives, but I was having to use them pretty regularly if I wanted to get anything out at all. And let me tell you, I was eating fiber and I was drinking water and I was on a gluten-free, dairy-free, I was on the low FODMAP diet. So I was on a low inflammation diet and I still was having lots of problems. So I was doing all the quote unquote right things. Heck, I was even exercising with the very small amount of energy I had. I would go for runs and walks and yoga and Pilates and I was doing all the quote-unquote right things. Craniosacral therapy was the game changer. Now, the other thing that this pelvic floor therapist did was something called visceral manipulation. And as I said earlier in this episode, visceral manipulation is looking at functionality of organs in relation to the fascia around them and the ligaments. So the ligaments are, you know, a connection from an organ to either another organ or an organ to a bone. We have ligaments, for example, on our liver, like something called our right triangular ligament, and that is a connection directly from the liver to the right side of our rib cage. And that ligament can get really, really tight in a car accident. It just takes in a lot of the force because I want you to think about your seatbelt when you get into that car accident and your car stops and you keep going and that's why you're wearing the seatbelt. And then you stop and guess what keeps going? All the organs and tissue inside of your body, that keeps going. And then they have ligaments that hold them in. And so your liver goes through a hard stop and that right triangular ligament, it's just really thick and it absorbs a ton of the shock. If that gets overly tight, I want you to think about that seatbelt. If you pull on it too quickly, even if you're not in a car accident and suddenly it's like choking you because it's in a lock hold, it's trying to keep you in place. It's trying to keep you safe even if you don't need it. Well, that can happen to our organs. And I have lots of clients, they might get gallbladder surgery or they get an appendectomy because they had appendicitis. And so they've had life-saving surgeries or they've had a cesarean. C-sections leave a lot of scar tissue. Maybe they've had an ovary removed or um, sometimes whole organs like the uterus. And all those things, when you do any abdominal surgery at all, the whole abdominal cavity gets exposed to air. And especially with these laparoscopies, they will blow air into the abdominal cavity to lift up the tissue so that they can see a little better. And that air, our organs were never meant to have air (laughs) just like exposed to oxygen that way. And so they can dry out, their tissue can become less flexible. Even if you have a nearby organ that was never touched by a scalpel, it being exposed to air can also decrease its flexibility and functionality. Visceral manipulation can help improve that. So a couple things with visceral manipulation is that we use usually a little bit more pressure than five grams, can be anywhere between five and like 25 grams, five and 35 grams to increase the elasticity of ligaments and fascia. All of the ligaments and fascia around our organs have mechanoreceptors in them. And so these mechanoreceptors can sense mechanical pressure. And so can our organs. And that's part of even how peristalsis works is that if you don't know what peristalsis is, you can go back to episode one. But real quick, peristalsis is a muscular movement from the esophagus down to the large intestine that pushes food through it. And the reason that our body knows when to push food through it is 
the mechanical pressure of the food or water inside the tube. And so the mechanoreceptors say, oh, look, we're being stretched a little, and I think there's something there, and we should push it down. Well, we can do the same thing outside of the body by finding those tubes or finding those ligaments and then creating pressure, a light consistent amount of pressure. And the body says, huh, that's really tight. This is one thing that's really fascinating about visceral manipulation is that I have lots of people, for example, who do yoga because they're trying to be healthy and mindful and they're perhaps quite flexible. But when you're, when you have a restriction, say, I want you to imagine that right triangular ligament, just imagine the right side of your rib cage and say you do a back bend or you do a twist in yoga. If that area is tight, well, the area right above it and the area right below it might not be. And so you're doing that twist. And if your body's tight right at that right triangular ligament, it's just going to give in the, any area above and below it. And it's not going to stretch that area. So when you get visceral manipulation, we identify the area, we actually isolate that tissue, and then we create mobility or we create a slight amount of tension in the tissue. The tissue says, oh, I'm tight there. We let it warm up. We let it respond to the mechanoreceptors. H2O rushes in and the tissue becomes more flexible. Other things going on in visceral manipulation, we pay attention to something called sphincters. Our gut has five gates that food and water have to pass through. These gates are what we call neuroreflexive. They are quick responders to our state of mind, so the neuro and reflexive. So if you get shocked by a surprise birthday party, these suckers can actually just close. Or if you get shocked by a text someone sends you, or maybe sad um, or angry, all these different things, is anything that heightens our nervous system to a somewhat more fight and flight, especially if it's a strong input, these little gateways will close because, again, we don't want to be digesting if we're upset or if we're running from a bear because, for example, acid could get from our stomach into our small intestine that is sloshing around while we run. And that's just as dangerous as whatever's chasing us, whether it's a bear or maybe the sense that you're being chased by like homework that's due. And so all these things that are stressors can affect these five sphincters. If you want to know what they are, they here they are real quick. We have the gastroesophageal sphincter, which is linking the esophagus to our stomach. We have the pyloric sphincter, which is linking our stomach to our small intestine. We have the sphincter of Odi, which is connecting our common bile duct to our small intestine. And that's where we get all of our bile from our liver and our pancreas and our gallbladder. And then we also have the duodenal jejunal junction. We call it the DJ junction. It's a little junction from the first portion of our small intestine to the second portion. And our last sphincter is the ileocecal valve, which is moving from our small intestine to our large intestine. So there you go, from top to bottom, all those sphincters. And if any of them end up becoming dysfunctional, they can become sluggish or frozen, and then they're not letting food pass. When they don't let food pass, those areas can actually become very sharp and painful from food getting pushed behind it. And a lot of times I find that when I'm working with a client who has dysfunctional sphincters, I will find the sphincter, we do this through touch over the abdomen, and then we'll press on it and say, does that feel sensitive or tender? Usually it's not sharply painful, but it'll feel tender. And a lot of times they'll say, yeah. And I'm like, that's dysfunctional. So if you feel like you're getting these sharp 
or dull pains in very specific places in your abdomen, you might not be crazy. You might be dealing with a sphincter that is dysfunctional, food that isn't passing through, that's building up, there's pressure, it's uncomfortable. And even with that, bacteria can end up overgrowing if food isn't passing through, which we also talked about in episode one. Uh, Just like if the trash doesn't get taken out of your house, it begins to smell and grow things. And if food doesn't pass in your gut fast enough, the bacteria that are already present will overgrow. And that can lead to all sorts of overgrowth conditions, whether it's SIBO or candida, or just a a general overgrowth problem that can lead to bloating. And that will mean that uh, as you, if you listen to episode three, that will mean that probiotics are not super helpful. It actually can make things worse. Eat fermented foods and things like kombucha will also make you feel worse if you have any backup or weakened peristalsis. So if you guys didn't catch this, what I shared just now is visceral manipulation helps our peristalsis by releasing restrictions around organs and by helping our sphincters function so that food can pass from gateway to gateway. And then craniosacral therapy helps our gut to function by decreasing our fight and flight response, putting us into rest and digest, and then also optimizing. Um, I didn't actually get into this too much just now, but I'll say it now. Craniosacral therapy can optimize things like our vagus nerve pathway. Sometimes our vagus nerve can get restricted or jammed. Um, it has a hole it comes through in our in our skull called our jugular foramen, and that's a hole that's between our temporal bone and our occiput, right in a suture. And so if our occiput and our temporal bone get jammed somehow, um, whether that's from falling down, and I've listed some things already, could be football, whatever it is, then that is going to impair the vagus nerve at a very high point in the body. It's not down by the diaphragm. Deep breathing could positively affect Um, the vagus nerve, but if it's not released at that junction, if it is restricted, there's going to be some brain-gut connection that's just not smooth. There's going to be some extra signaling just because that nerve is getting compressed ever so slightly right at its exit at the brain. So she did craniosacral therapy on me. She did visceral manipulation. I felt in three sessions, I felt significantly better. Was I healed completely? No. Did it actually set my body up to finally start being able to digest food so I could move it through the di- my digestive tract so that I would have a better chance at having being in an arrest and digest state rather than my fight and flight? Because y'all, when you're sick, whether it's an autoimmune disorder or just a chronic illness, maybe you've had this chronic low-level digestive problem, maybe it's IBS, maybe it doesn't even have a name, then you're sick and your body is in a low level amount of fight and flight because it's trying to rally its immune system or it's not getting the nutrients it needs. Your body feels alarmed by its state of illness. And so another huge thing that is helpful that craniosacral therapy can help people who have been chronically ill or chronically in pain. Um, I had a client who has had chronic low back pain. She's doing her best with chiropractic care and nutrition, and she's got some GI stuff going on, and and the craniosacral therapy helps her so much in just lowering that pain feedback loop, and she's been able to really make some improvement just because she's lowering her nervous system level, so she's sleeping better, and her body's able to heal better. It's crazy how it all connects. So if you're listening to me and you're wondering, Allison, 
you live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. How the heck am I going to get craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation? Well, you're in luck because people who practice what I practice are all connected by something called the International Alliance of Healthcare Practitioners. That's also known as the IAHP, or it's the International Alliance of Healthcare Educators, the IAHE. If you see either of them, they're both connected. If you search into Google and you search IAHP and then search right after that, find a practitioner, usually one of the first or second links is for their website. You click on it. And there's going to be an area where you put in your zip code. I suggest you put in either all five digits or maybe just three digits of your zip code. And then you go down and you go and click, there's advanced filter. And in that there's modalities and you want to choose visceral manipulation because visceral manipulation is much less common. So if you're looking for someone who has both visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy, it's easier to search visceral manipulation. Once you do that, you click search. And everybody who's in those three digit, because the first three digits, it's a wider area of your zip code, everybody will show up. Usually the people with the most experience will float to the top. You'll see on the right side, all these black dots of how many courses they've taken. On the left side, you might see if they're an instructor or a teaching assistant. So it'll say TA. I am a TA for craniosacral therapy. And I'm also a certified craniosacral therapist. So some people might have certified craniosacral therapist, or it might say that they are a CSTD, which is a diplomat of craniosacral therapy. So depending on the area you're in, if you're in an urban area, there is a pretty good likelihood that there might even be a diplomat level craniosacral therapist in your area. And you can also find people with really high qualifications for visceral manipulation who will love to work with you. They know all these things that I talk about that I just talked about in this episode, whether it's the sphincters or the sympathetic tone or muscle tone or all these things can apply to so many conditions that I work with. It applies to acid reflux because oftentimes acid reflux is a result of food not passing through the stomach. So food ends up hanging out in the stomach too long and then the body says, oh, we still have food here. Let's throw some more acid at it. We overproduce acid. It's not getting out. We then walk around with this high acid food in our gut and we end up getting it into our throat because it has nowhere else to go. It's not going forward or at least it's not going forward very well. On top of that, if you have acid reflux, hear me out. If you have anything like quick feelings of fullness where you eat food and then feel um, full really quickly, like you might actually feel hungry, like maybe faint maybe just plain old hungry, and then you eat something, if you feel full very quickly with an inordinately small amount of food, you also might be struggling with something called early satiety or quick feelings of fullness, which is also a problem of peristalsis. Your body is not passing that through, and that's not going to help your acid reflux at all. Controlling your diet does not help these things. Controlling your stress can help it a little bit, but if you have any history of being pregnant, pregnancy pushes a lot of your organs up and can cause problems. Any history of anything we've talked about, whether it's surgery or falling on your tailbone, or you might not even remember something that has potentially caused this, it would really limit how much your diet can help. And that's another reason why you could be on a low acid diet and still feel like you're really struggling with acid reflux, or you could eating very small amounts of food and still feel like you are not ever eating enough, but also have a hard time wanting to eat enough or feeling full too quickly. These are things that a lot of my clients have struggled with, and I love, love, love talking about, and love, love, love helping people with. 
So if you have any questions about your condition or want to know anything more, you're curious if craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation can help you, feel free to reach out to me. DM me on Instagram. We are at Better Belly Therapies. And I would love to just let you know if I've worked with your condition before and if I've seen it help. So another thing that you can do if you enjoy this episode is go to betterbellytherapies.com slash book. I have my book, Stop Stomach Pain, How to Heal Your Gut and End Food Restrictions. In my book, I go over a lot of what I talked about today, but more in depth and with colors and charts and images, and it's meant to be really, well, easily digestible, if you know what I mean. I would strongly encourage you go online and buy it. You can download it, you can buy a print copy and keep it or share it with a friend. It's a tool that's meant to make this information extremely memorable and easy to learn. And you can use it as a reference point and look up more research that backs up all the things that I talked about today. Guys, I hope you have so enjoyed this episode. I hope you've learned a lot. If you have enjoyed this episode, I encourage you subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you also enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and share it with a friend. I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, my friend, family, sister needs you. So send that friend a love note to their gut and share this episode with them. Other ways you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram or Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. We love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. In the meantime, I'll leave you with my favorite quote, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.